Good morning. A special introduction this morning. My parents have come in from Davidson, North Carolina, so they're here. Spent the weekend um, doing all the sites around the area. Went to Hershey, um, to the Chocolate World. That's always fun. I've only done that a hundred times. <laughs> went down to Lancaster and spent some time at Kitchen Kettle and went to Spooky Nook and had a really nice weekend. Um, Mom and Dad, we're glad that you're here. Be sure to come say hello to them. They're right here at the front. Let's pray as we open up God's Word this morning. Father, we're thankful for today, for the sunshine, for the chance that we get to come in on this beautiful morning and worship. And we're thankful for the songs that we've been able to sing today, the the elements of worship that we've been able to be a part of with communion and giving. And God, we are, we are so grateful for the privilege it is to worship you. And God, now as we open up the word, as we seek to learn more about you, to go deeper in our faith, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes and our hearts to understand, to feel, to think deeper about who you are. And so, God, we pray now that you would help us to do that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We are going to be in Psalm 8 this morning. We've been working through the Psalms this summer. Only a few more Psalms that we'll be doing as we close out the month of August. This morning we'll be in Psalm 8. If you could turn there, it's not going to be on the screen So you have to find Psalm 8, one way or the other. I'll read the whole psalm right now, and then we'll work through it. Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You hear the emphasis there. Verse 1 and verse 9 together give us the heart of this psalm. God's name is majestic in all the earth. And it starts with it and it ends with it because he wants to show us, the psalmist wants to show us, how is God's name majestic in all the earth? It says God's name is majestic. Names, as you know, in the Bible especially, are significant. It's really crucial for us as we're studying, especially a verse that says God's name is majestic, 
the names of God which are given to us. And if you look at the first couple of words, O Lord, our Lord, if you're just listening to me read it, you hear the same name twice. Lord, Lord. But if you look a little bit closely, you might need to get your reading glasses. You'll see it's actually a little bit different, right? If you look at the text, it looks different, those two names for God, Lord and Lord. The first Lord has the smaller capital letters. The second Lord looks like a proper name. What's the significance here? Because I think it's important to understand the significance between these two lords, especially in a verse where we just said, God's name is majestic in all the earth. And so if we were to open up our Hebrew Bibles to Psalm 8, and if we were to have, if we were to read the Hebrew, okay, the Hebrew literally says, O Yahweh, O Adonai. Yahweh, Adonai. But for the Jewish, for the Jewish person, how would they pronounce those two words? Right? They would never say the name Yahweh. Yahweh was God's sacred name. And for the Jew to hopefully honor God's name, they actually would never speak the name Yahweh. And so instead, they would replace the name Yahweh with another name for God, one that is also in this verse, Adonai. So if the Jewish person was reading this today, they would read it, O Adonai, or O Adonai, even though the text says Yahweh. Now, why is this significant? What's, what's the big deal? Well, I think if we kind of look into these, these names, we will understand the significance that God is sharing with us about his name. So Yahweh, a name that we know and are familiar with, Okay, Exodus chapter 3. I love this chapter where Moses is arguing with God. And God says, you will go and you will free my people. You will go to Egypt. You will talk with Pharaoh. And, and in this chapter, it's so fascinating that Moses actually lists off five different reasons why he's not going to do that. Like he's not capable or he can't, he doesn't know what to say. And in, and in his response to these excuses, okay, Moses actually says, well, who am I going to say sent me, God? Like, I don't even know your name. What am I actually going to say? And at this excuse, God responds by saying, let me give you my name. I'm actually going to give you my personal name. And that's where we get the, the letters Y-W-H in the Hebrew Yahweh. This is the personal name of God. But what's interesting about the personal name of God, this name Yahweh, is that we don't actually know what it means perfectly. There is some debate on what those three letters together mean. Y-W-H for Yahweh. Most see a connection with the Hebrew word to be, the verb to be. And so when he says Yahweh, he's actually saying, I am. I am. That's my name, Moses. You tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. You tell Pharaoh that this is my name. And the significance of this is that he's saying, I have always been Moses. That's my name. Some actually think it's more than just I am. And they think it's I will be. 
My name is I will be Moses. I have always been, I will always be. I have no needs, Moses. I, have, I need nothing. I'm completely self-existent. You tell that to Pharaoh. But not only is the name in first, verse 1 of Psalm 8 Yahweh, it's Adonai. Okay, Adonai is translated in the Septuagint as Lord. It's this, it's this idea that God is in control of everything. That he is sovereign over it. All history, everything in the past, everything in the future, every government, every decision, God is Adonai. He is Lord. He's in complete control. He is on his throne. This is the name that is majestic in all the earth. And if you don't understand those two names, it's hard to understand how his name is majestic. Yahweh, the completely self-sufficient, eternal, always existing one, the Adonai, the one who is over everything. This name is majestic. And later in verse 1, it says, the name is majestic in all the earth. He said his glory above the heavens. Okay, so you have this repetition. His majesty is on, in all the earth. His glory is above the heavens. What he is saying is, is his majesty, his glory is showcased in who he is. Now, majesty and glory, words that we hear a lot in church, but do we actually have a grasp on what they, they mean? Majesty. Like, what do we mean when we say majesty or glory? Another, even more popular word. What do we mean when we say God is glorious or we give God all of the glory? Well, pretty simply, God's majesty and his glory is his power, his greatness, his value showcased in the world. God's majesty is the power that is due him as the king seen in the world. God's glory is the display of God's greatness, of his worth. Glory has this idea of heaviness. Okay, the, the Hebrew word has this, this heavy idea because God's glory is so great that when it is seen in the world, it has so much value. And it is seen in the world. I, I think of the first time that I saw my wife. I was, we were switching classes. I think I've shared this story with some of you, but we were switching classes. We were at Cedarville. And as our classes were switching, I saw her. And I was completely overwhelmed. I knew of her. I knew who she was, kind of. But for whatever moment, in that moment, as we're switching classes on a Tuesday afternoon at Cedarville University, I was overwhelmed. Okay? God's majesty and his glory is seen in the whole world. And this psalm is going to say, let me, let me share with you how his majesty and how his beautiful, heavy Worth and glory is seen in the world. Let me tell you what that's going to look like. And so that's what we get with the next seven verses. To, to talk about God's majesty and his glory in the world, I want to have a moment with our children this morning. Are the kiddos in service today? 
We've got kiddos. I want all the kindergarten through fifth graders, whoever wants to come, come on up here. I want to give you an illustration about God's majesty. So come on up. You might even get a little surprise if you can come on up and listen. Let's put it up here. Just go ahead and have a seat here on the floor. And what's interesting about Psalm 8 is, I think it's, it's a pretty simple psalm, but I think it communicates to kids and it communicates to adults. So kids, we're going to talk about Psalm chapter 8. And I'm going to read you, I'm going to read you a couple of verses from Psalm chapter 8. We just read the first verse, the first two verses, and here's what verses 3 and 4 say, okay? I'm going to read them to you. Yeah, you're looking at the bouncy balls. I know. Got to look right here. All right, here we go. Listen to these verses, kids. It says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? One more time. Look at here. It says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? the son of man, that you care for him. So I want you to think about this with me. He just said, how majestic is God's name in all the earth? And he says, let me tell you how majestic God's name is. And he starts talking about creation. Okay. Does anybody remember two parts of creation that I just read in those verses? Two parts, things that God created in that verse. Anyone? Yes. Okay, he used his fingers, the moon and the stars. And you know what? You know how it described what God did with the moon and the stars? It says, you set them, he set them in place. And you know what I was thinking about? As I was trying to picture God placing the moon and the stars in place, I started to think about superheroes. See this superhero? What superhero is this? Captain America. Captain America. So my son Truman, we're celebrating his birthday this weekend, and so he just got a whole box of these. He actually has almost 50 superheroes just like this. I know. It's a lot. It's a whole lot of, a lot of toys. This is my son's. And so what Truman likes to do with these superheroes, we did this yesterday. We get all 50 of the superheroes, and we got the coffee table, We have cars and we have trucks. And what we like to do is we like to set every single one of the 50. On one side is the good guys. On the other side is the bad guys. And we place them all over. My wife loves it when we do this. Okay, that is the same picture of how God ordered and set up the world that we live in. The the verse says that he set them in place. The moon and the stars. He took his fingers, okay, this is just a figure of speech, and he placed them exactly where he wanted them. How awesome is that? That God would actually do that, that he is so big and wonderful that he could do that. Okay, how many of you like going to the beach? Maybe you've already been to the beach this summer. Okay, what's one of your favorite things about going to the beach? Playing in the what? 
the water. What's fun about the water at the beach? Maybe I should stop asking questions. The waves, <laughs> the waves are fun, aren't they? And did you know that without the moon that God has put into place, there would be no waves? How cool that God perfectly set the moon exactly where it needs to be, the exact size that it needs to be so that we can enjoy waves, that we can swim in the waves and jump over the waves. What was the other, the other thing that God created in Psalm chapter 8? The moon and the, the stars. How many of you like stars? I love stars. Someone gave me a telescope for my birthday last year. And I love just looking at the stars. Okay, did you know, did you know that the sun is bigger than the earth? Did you know that? Yeah. Kind of, sort of. The sun is bigger than the earth. Did you know that? Now you do. The sun is bigger than the earth. Did you know this? Okay, well, there's 100 million of planet Earths could fit inside the sun. 100 million. That's a lot of, a lot of zeros. Okay, and did, let me tell you this. Did you know that every star that you can see at night when you look up in the sky is bigger and brighter than the sun? The sun is so much bigger than the earth, but then every single star is that much bigger than the sun. You know what else we like to do when we look up at the sky? What do we like to do? We like to count the stars, don't we? Lots of stars. Here we've got some bouncy balls. See the bouncy balls? Ah, you have to pay attention. You see, the, you see the bouncy balls? Look at this. Uh, wait, wait, wait. See these bouncy balls? All these bouncy balls. You know, I, we counted these bouncy balls. There are a thousand, over a thousand bouncy balls in this swimming pool. Okay? I want you to picture this bouncy ball representing a star. Okay? How many of these bouncy balls? Okay? If there are a thousand bouncy balls, and they represent all the stars that we, can, we know of, you know how much one bouncy ball represents? A hundred million stars. A thousand bouncy balls. Each one of these represents a hundred million stars. That's one with eight zeros. That's how many stars God put into place. Is that pretty cool? What do we learn about God when we think of him like that? What are some things that we learn about God when we think about all the stars and the moon that he put into place? Anybody? That what? That he did a lot. That he did a lot. Yes, he did do a lot. Yes, that's true. He made everything. So here's what I want you to do. This could be the worst idea ever. You can pick out one bouncy ball as you go back to your seat, and we'll see how that turns out for the rest of the service. <laughs> Grab a bouncy ball. You can go back to your seat. Don't take like five minutes to pick one out. Just pick one. 
Yeah, this is going to take all day. Just, you know, they're just, they all bounce. You can grab one. Yeah, we got lots. You can come back at the end and exchange it if you'd like to. God's majesty is seen. His majestic name is seen in the world and in the universe that he created. The moon and the stars that he placed exactly where he wants them. It's an overwhelming feeling. But then we get to verse 5. And I love how this psalm turns. Right, Because it's wonderful to talk about and to think about the moon and the stars. But the question at the end of verse 4 is a logical question. In light of that many stars and the size of the moon and all that you've made, God, why would you think about me? Why are you mindful of us out of all the things that you made? Why would you even spend a second thinking about us? humans, your creations. And I love God's answer. Verse five, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Maybe your version says something different there on that first line. You have made him a little bit lower than God himself. It's interesting about that little phrase, the word for heavenly beings is the word Elohim. You've probably maybe heard the name Elohim. Elohim can mean created angels. It can also mean God. In Genesis, it means the creator God. Some actually think the context here of God's creation and humanity is Genesis 1. And so many take Elohim and say, that we are created a little bit lower than God. Regardless, the point is pretty strong. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you are more majestic. You are a more perfect picture of God's majesty than anything else I've created. As beautiful as the mountains are and as the ocean is, And as many stars as there are, you showcase God better than anything else. You know, a lot of times we like to go on nature hikes or walks. We like to look at the mountains and we're amazed at how beautiful and wonderful God is. And I think that's a great thing to do. But what this psalm is telling us is that actually you are a better showcase of God's majesty than the mountains. That there's something distinctly different between you and his creation. That you are only a little lower than the angels or God himself. That you have been crowned. The, the, the psalmist is, is giving us significance. He's saying, you are the pinnacle of my creation. Okay, the pinnacle. Kiddos, you know what pinnacle means? Pinnacle? Where would the pinnacle of this be? You know, at the pinnacle, the top. And what, what 
the psalmist is telling us here is that you are the most important thing that I've created. You showcase God's majesty more than anything else I've made. But why? How? How is that true? And I think he tells us here in these next couple of verses, just a couple of points as we wrap up thinking about how God created us. First, why are we the pinnacle of God's creation? How is that true? Well, first, I think it's important to remember that the way that God has created us is perfectly beautiful, that our bodies have no rival when it comes to sophistication. The way that God has perfectly put us together shows us that we are different than his creation, that we have more abilities than his creation. I was reading a story about a mom who was in an, there was an accident and her son was lodged under a car. Okay, don't mess with mom's strength. Okay, the mom picked up this car to rescue her son who was trapped under this car. They said it weighed over a thousand pounds. The angle that she picked it up, she actually ruptured some things. She hurt her vertebrae. The beauty of the body. I started reading about the heart. Okay, we've talked about the heart a couple weeks ago. How much the heart beats, how much blood flows in your body every single day. And it's amazing. It's amazing. We, our bodies, have no rivals. What else makes us the pinnacle of God's creation? Look at verses 6 through 8. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. God has given us a role, this dominion over his created world that makes us the pinnacle of his creation. We care for the world like God cares for us. We are like God in our care, like he cares for us. Our role sets us apart. What makes us different? What makes us the pinnacle? And hopefully you know this, but one of the most significant differences between creation, the moon and the stars and animals and the birds and the fish and us is that you were created to be in relationship with God that the moon and the stars weren't created to be in relationship with God and that you were made for the, the explicit purpose to know and to be in relationship with him. There's the image in Leviticus of God walking with his people. There's the image in the garden of God walking, hanging out with his, his people. And the image here is this, this picture of relationship. God wants you, you were made for relationship with God. And if you don't have relationship with God, then you're missing what separates you from the mountains and the birds and the fish. You were created to be in relationship with God. And then lastly, I'll close with this. And probably this is the most obvious difference between us and his creation is that you were made in the image of God. We all have heard this, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us not make man in our image and after our likeness, this is God speaking, 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were creating God's image. But what's so interesting about this phrase, again, is that it's one that we hear a lot about, but really we don't know what this means. Like, we we don't actually know what this means. We know a lot of things that it doesn't mean. Okay, it doesn't mean that we are, to be made in God's image doesn't mean we look like God. True men was made in my image. He looks just like me. So when, they, when kids see Truman crying, it's like, Pastor Matt's crying. Look at him. Like, we look identical. That's not what it means when we were made in God's image. God doesn't have eyes and hands and feet. God is spirit. He has no body. So we know that's not what it means to be made in his image. Some people think that to be made in God's image means we have the ability to, to think, our rationality. But that doesn't seem to be backed up with scripture. What does it mean to be made in God's image? I was reading a story this week about a farmer in Syria in 1979. Okay, and this farmer, as he was plowing, he made a significant archaeological discovery. He found this statue. Okay, doesn't look like much. It looks like a chess piece. It's actually huge, this huge statue. And what was significant about this statue was the inscription on the back of it. Okay, they found out after doing some searching, some research, that this was an Assyrian governor. And as they were translating the words on the back, they they found something very significant. This is the only text outside of Genesis 1.26 and Genesis 1.27 that uses the the words image and likeness outside of the Bible. Okay, because like I just said, we don't really, we have some ideas on what it means to be made in God's image and his likeness, but a lot of it is we're just trying to understand how the Bible, what the Bible says about it. But as they discovered this statue, we find another resource that says, here's with, with context of image and likeness on a statue. And as they did some research on these statues, okay, this, he, this Assyrian governor would set up these statues all over his territory. And it was a way that he would show the people that though he wasn't there, his image on this statue, which was life-size, was there watching them. It was a representation of this king, of this governor in his territory. This represented him. And for us, and this is the simple understanding of God's image, For us, I think in light of that, that we have extra biblical cases where image and likeness is simply this, that we showcase who God is in our world. That as humans, we showcase God's character, God's attributes, his love better than anything else. That's exactly what Psalm 8 is saying. Psalm 8 is saying, as beautiful as the world is, You have been crowned. You were made in my image. You showcase me to a world. And the question for us is, what God do you showcase by how you live your life? 
if this was the image, this statue was put around town to, to remind them, this is who the king is. What king, what king are we pointing to? What God are we pointing to? How do we, the way we live our lives, does it showcase and point to the God who loves us and wants to be in relationship with us? Psalm 8 says, this God is majestic. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your majesty seen in creation. As we just think about for just a moment, the number of stars and the moon that you have put in place, we are overwhelmed by the, by the vastness of what you've created. But yet at the same time, God, I pray for everyone in here, I pray for myself, that we would realize how much more special and beautiful we are than anything else that you've created, that you have crowned us, You've given us a significant role to rule the earth like you rule. And so, God, I pray that this morning, if there's anyone who's discouraged, God, that we'd find joy and hope in the fact that you have crowned us and you've made us more significant than anything you've created. And God, I pray that this week, as we live our lives, as we go to work, as we enjoy our time with our family, God, I pray that we would be like the statue that is a showcase, a reminder to the people around us who our king is as we talk and interact with others, strangers and people that we know. God, I pray that we would represent you well. And God, if there's someone in here who, who says, you know what, I'm not sure that I have embraced the, the reason that I was created, which is to be in relationship with you. God, I pray that you would work in their life even this morning, that we would see that the, meaning, the purpose of our life is to understand you as our creator through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, that we can come to you and be in relationship with you. So God, I pray that this morning we leave this place encouraged, that we would represent you well this week to a world that is desperately looking for hope. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.